Well, it is another week. This is Andrew Wood, Executive Director of Hope Resource Center. Thank you so much for tuning in, whether you're tuning in live, Joy 620, uh, on this Tuesday afternoon, or you're listening to the podcast at investinghope.com or Google Play or iTunes, wherever podcasts are found. It's been a couple weeks, and I haven't been here. And you might not have known that if you're listening live, because my voice was on the air the last two Tuesdays, but I was not in studio. There's a couple of reasons for that. I was out of town last week. The week before, I think, was the 4th of July week and uh, my birthday week, and so I just took off. And so, uh, but we're back today, and we got a lot to talk about that I haven't got to cover yet. So uh, at the end of June, there was a pretty big Supreme Court decision that we haven't had a chance to talk to talk about because I had Representative Jason Zachary in a few weeks back to talk about things going on in the state of Tennessee, the pro-life bill that the governor signed, and, and so we had that conversation. Uh, but there's some things that have happened in the Supreme Court. There's some things that are, that are happening in New York uh, with Planned Parenthood and Margaret Sanger that is a shocker, and so we're going to look at that. Uh, just uh, We're going to look at chemical abortions and why that uh, expanding that service is not safe for women or pro-woman. Uh, so we're going to look at a couple things. A lot of these articles are going to be from National Review, uh, which is a great publication that I would recommend you get online and find. Uh, also, you know, a lot of times, for a long time, really, Twitter has kind of been my my go-to. That's where I get my news. And some of you are listening going, what are you talking about? You get your news from Twitter. That's what's wrong with this country well yeah you're probably right and so what what happened uh, about uh, i guess a month ago i deactivated my twitter account so it now is not even uh, i can't even access it and so uh, when i pull it up on my computer because you have 30 days so it hasn't quite been 30 days yet it says hey andrew you can't see it unless you reactivate it and so i fought the temptation i have not reactivated my twitter account and uh, that probably means nothing to you, but for my psyche and for my sanity, it's meant a whole lot for me. And so I've gotten away from that. You know, the, the crazy, the, just a lot of crazy things going on with COVID. And uh, I don't know if, if, if you know this, but apparently a lot of people have a lot of opinions about whether or not you should wear a mask. I don't know if you've seen that, uh, but everybody has an opinion and they like to talk about it on, the, on social media. And so... Uh, just a weird time. I'm seeing people on social media that have never cared anything about politics, where now that's all they post is about politics. And then I'm seeing folks that, that have, were like me that were very much almost to the point of obsessing over politics, kind of stepping back and going, oh, I'm exhausted. And so it's a weird time for sure as we, as we look at uh, a COVID season and what that means. And, and Knox County, Knoxville has, has seen... Um, a rise in cases. Uh, and so uh, we're seeing that in, in a lot of parts of the South. And, and some people are saying, oh, well, well, that's because of leadership in the South. I don't think that's the case. I think what we saw in New York was terrible leadership. And what we saw happen in New York, uh, the, the wave just got there quicker. And so we're not seeing near the deaths, near the cases in, in Tennessee that they saw in New York and some other places around the country, and so I think that's important to to talk about. I, uh, someone the other day said that that they believe New York was a model for how to fight the virus. Uh, New York, just in nursing home and assisted living deaths alone, are over five thousand. Over five thousand deaths just in nursing homes and assisted living due to COVID in the state of New York. So I, I don't think they're a model. 
I think it's pretty safe to say they're not a model for how we need to operate. And, and, and I think it's also safe to say that every state is different and every context is different. The environment is different, the, all of those things. And so uh, we're doing the best that we can. And, and I think uh, Governor Lee is doing the best that he can in leadership. I think us, all of us as neighbors are doing the best we can. We're trying to get back to some sense of normalcy while also trying to be cautious uh, around our, our neighbors. And, and a lot of folks have, and I posted this the other day on, uh, on Facebook because it was an observation that, that I've, I've made. And the observation is this. There's a lot of folks screaming for a mask mandate from the state of Tennessee or, or from uh, Washington. They're wanting a mask mandate. Now, many of those folks also text while they drive. And so they say you need to wear a mask because you, you should care about your neighbor, yet they don't care about their neighbor on the road when they're driving and texting, looking at their phone. And also, there's a lot of folks that typically would say a business has every right to operate the way they see fit. That's what freedom is. That's what capitalism is, that, that you as a business owner have the right to operate your business as you see fit. So what that means is there's businesses that have signs on the door when you come in that say, no shirt, no shoes, no service. That's never bothered us. Of course, they have every right to say, put a shirt on, put shoes on before you come in. Well, in the same way, and this is going to make some people uncomfortable, in the same way, a business owner has a right to say, hey, we're going to require a mask. And so we're seeing that with Ingles here locally. We're seeing that with, uh, I think, Walmart, Kroger, Costco, some, some other big chains requiring masks from customers when they walk in. Look, folks, what we, what we have found is all of us, all of us are hypocrites, okay? So we can try to spew our virtue and virtue signal and how, how we're so much right, more righteous than our neighbor because we'll put on a mask, or we're so much more righteous than our neighbor because of X, Y, and Z. But the reality is, we're all hypocrites. We all could be healthier. We all could eat better. We all could exercise more. We all could love our neighbors more. But the reality is, we, we at this moment in time, are struggling. And so in this struggle, are we a grace people or not? Are we, are we folks that are offering grace to others? So what that may mean is you see somebody without a mask and you don't shame them. What that may mean is you see somebody with a mask and you don't shame them. What that may mean is your neighbor chooses virtual school and you don't shame them. Or your neighbor chooses to send their kids to school and you don't shame them. Or they pick a Christian school or they pick a private school or they pick homeschool and we don't shame them. What a, what a crazy idea. But somebody's listening right now that needs to put their phone down, put social media down, and just take a break. And it's okay. The world will keep spinning. I promise. Like I said, I've been off Twitter for almost a month. And the world has kept on spinning. Washington, D.C. has just kept on with everything that's going on. I haven't changed anything by being off of there. I haven't received tons of emails and letters. Oh my gosh, where are you at on Twitter? No, because in the grand scheme, it doesn't matter. And so let's be a grace people. Now, as we shift a little bit to what, what happened uh, just a few weeks ago, 
at the end of June, a, a big decision in the Supreme Court. And this article is over at the National Review. In the wake of the Supreme Court's ruling uh, in June, in, in the June Medical Services versus Russo, abortion rights groups are hailing the decision as a victory for women's health care. Anyone familiar with the specifics of the Louisiana law and not financially invested in propping up our regime of entirely unfettered legal abortion knows this claim is obviously untrue. It's no surprise, however, to see groups such as Planned Parenthood, NARAL, Pro-Choice America, and the Center for Reproductive Rights repeating this falsehood because this is the narrative that prevailed all throughout the debate over the law and the only narrative that could justify opposing such a common-sense pro-woman policy. So let's remember what was at stake in this case. On a bipartisan basis, now remember that, on a bipartisan basis, Louisiana enacted a policy requiring abortion providers to maintain admitting privileges at a hospital within 30 miles of their clinic so that women who need emergency follow-up care could obtain it more easily. Now, when I say bipartisan, a Democrat sponsored the legislation and a Democratic governor signed the legislation into law. A similar policy already applies to every other type of ambulatory surgical center in Louisiana. The law aimed to close the loophole that had permitted abortionists to avoid regulation despite being providers of outpatient surgery. The law did not in any way infringe on a woman's right to abortion as courts have outlined it. It didn't infringe on a woman's ability to decide whether or when to get an abortion. It didn't place a limitation of any kind on abortion procedures in Louisiana. It merely required abortionists, like all other surgical providers in the state, to maintain admitting privileges at a local hospital for the sake of the health and safety of women seeking an abortion. This is what Planned Parenthood is asking us to believe was a, quote, terrible and dangerous abortion restriction, end quote. What NARAL has cast as a, quote, clinic shutdown law, what the Center for Reproductive Rights insists was an attack from those, quote, hell-bent on banning abortion. These groups fundraise endlessly off of the proposition that women's rights are in danger, promising that they alone exist to protect women's health care. Why, then, are they the loudest voices cheering the downfall of a policy crafted specifically to protect the health of women seeking abortions? As they purport to represent women's interests, these activist groups instead are celebrating a case brought to court not by women, but by abortionists who have a direct financial stake in continuing to perform abortions no matter the health and safety risks to the women involved. So that's what happened in the Supreme Court concerning the Louisiana law. And again, all the, all the Louisiana law sought to do was the same thing that Texas sought to do a couple years back, was to make abortion clinics have to have, if they're, they're providing surgery, outpatient surgery, they should have uh, admitting privileges at a local hospital. Why is that crazy? Why is that a right-wing idea? Why is that an anti-abortion idea? Why is that not just a good idea? You know, it's interesting. The, the folks that, that typically stand up for abortion are also the folks that call for regulation of everything. Everything needs to be regulated. Government needs to be involved in everything. We need to have government overseeing every aspect of our lives. Except for inside the abortion clinic. You see, and, and that's not me just blowing smoke. That's me being honest. And how do I know that? Go find an article, an editorial by someone pro-abortion that called out Kermit Gosnell when he was arrested for what he was doing there 
uh, in the New England states. Find it. Did Cecile Richards write an op-ed saying that that's not who we are? That Kermit Gosnell does not represent all abortion clinics across the country? Did you, did you see that op-ed? Of course you didn't. You see, Kermit Gosnell was having teenagers administer drugs and, and other things to patients. Kermit Gosnell was ending the lives of babies even after they were in out of the womb. Kermit Gosnell was providing late-term abortions. Kermit Gosnell was, uh, was doing partial birth abortions. Kermit Gosnell had women and patients die inside of his clinic because they didn't get the care that they needed. But did you hear an outcry from the abortion lobby saying that's not who we are? They, they, that guy doesn't represent us? No, of course not. What you, what you saw was it all raked under the rug, swept under the rug because their ultimate goal is abortion and, and making money off of it. Again, we, we've had this conversation so many times, but, but they're constantly saying we need, government needs to provide the funds to, to uh, pay for the abortions. Notice what they don't do. You see, at Hope Resource Center, I'm not coming out and saying, hey, I'm so pro-life that the government should provide the services, the, the funds for the services that we provide at Hope Resource Center so that women would choose life. You see, I'm not doing that. Pregnancy centers aren't doing that. Why? Because pregnancy centers say, we care so much about the mom and the baby in the womb that we're going to do everything that we can. We're going to put our money where our mouth is. We're going to serve these ladies. We're going to take care of them. And we're not going to make them pay a dime. It's not about the money for us. It's about the life. But the abortion industry and the abortion lobby, you see something completely different. They say it's about women's rights, but when we say you need to have admitting privileges to the hospital, oh, no, 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 we don't need that. When we say you need to be regulated, oh, no, we don't need that. When we say there needs to be restrictions on abortions, oh, no, we don't need that. When we say an ultrasound should be required, oh, no, we don't need that. But what we do need is half a billion dollars from the federal government. That's what they want. That's what they need. And that's what it's about for them. We'll talk more when we come back. Take me back to the place that feels like home. To the people I can depend on. To the faith that's in my bones. Take me back to a preacher and a verse. Where they've seen me at my worst. To the love I had at first. Oh, I want to go to church. So there was a, a judge ruling just the other day. And, and, and you know, there's going to be a common theme from a lot of what we're talking about uh, today because what we see across the country, uh, not just at the Supreme Court level in D.C., but what we're seeing across the country is judges stepping in. Uh, to push a narrative and a policy and an abortion agenda. And that's just what they're doing. And so that's what you're going to see in, in kind of the topics of today. And there's a great article by Michael New uh, about one of these rulings that came just uh, a week and a half ago. Uh, and so last week, a federal judge ruled that during the COVID-19 pandemic, women do not need to abide by a policy requiring that they go to a medical facility in order to obtain chemical abortion drugs. The ruling by U.S. District Judge in Maryland, Theodore Chuang, stated that the in-person requirements were a substantial obstacle to women seeking abortion. As a result, the ruling allows health care providers to, to mail or otherwise deliver abortion pills directly to women. 
During the recent pandemic, supporters of legal abortion have been aggressive in their efforts to expand access to chemical abortions. In March, a coalition of 21 state attorney generals wrote to the commissioner of the FDA requesting that it loosen its safety regulations for chemical abortions. In June, more than 100 members of Congress made a similar request of the FDA. Unfortunately, this decision by this judge likely will have adverse effects on women's health. There is a body of research suggesting that chemical abortions pose significantly greater health risks to women than surgical abortions do. One of the best studies on this subject was published in 2015 after obtaining comprehensive and reliable data from Medicaid billing records in California. It found that chemical abortions result in complication rate four times higher than the complication rate for first trimester surgical abortions. The risk of a major complication with a chemical abortion was nearly twice as high as the risk of a major complication with a first trimester surgical abortion. It seems likely that if a higher number of chemical abortions are conducted without medical supervision, the risk of complication would only increase. Some supporters of loosening restrictions on chemical abortion cite a study published in the uh, let's see, OBG surveying chemical abortions and provided via telemedicine in Iowa and purporting to show that th- those procedures were safe. However, that study had a number of shortcomings. For instance, it used data from a survey of Iowa hospitals with only a 35% response rate. It also failed to hold constant uh, the gestational age of the unborn child and other factors that could increase the risk, health risk involved with obtaining an abortion. Finally, the authors of the study admitted that some respondents might not have reviewed medical records and instead relied on their recall of events, making it possible that some adverse events were excluded. As a result of those shortcomings, this study should not be taken as a definitive data point regarding the safety of telemed abortions. There is evidence that the incidence of abortion has increased during the pandemic. According to a CBS News article from April, some abortion facilities have reported an increase in the number of women seeking abortions. Meanwhile, ABC News reported that many abortion funds, which use private donations to subsidize abortions, had seen an increase in requests for help, help funding abortions. Data from Florida this spring showed that the number of abortions in the state had increased by nearly 7% since a similar point in the time last year. It is unfortunate that judges and policymakers are prioritizing access to medically risky chemical abortions instead of finding creative ways to support pregnant women in need. So that's where we are. Now, now let's, let's look at this for just a second. Right now, we, we are having people say, we need mask mandates. Look, I'm, I'm not going to argue whether you should wear a mask or not wear a mask. I'm not, I'm not talking about that. What I'm saying is, during COVID-19, during this pandemic, we have heard the governor out of New York, Cuomo, who's adamantly pro-abortion. We've heard Joe Biden, who's adamantly pro-abortion. We've heard uh, from a, a ton of folks in politics that, that are adamantly pro-abortion. We have heard them say, Speaker Pelosi has said, if we can save one life, then the mask is worth it. If we can save one life, then closing school is worth it. If we can save one life, then not having a baseball season is worth it. If we can save one life, then we need to cancel all of the concerts. If we can save one life, then no graduation ceremonies. If we can save one life, then you don't get to go to a funeral to bury your loved one. If we can save one life, you can't go to church. 
But in the same breath and in the same context of this pandemic, they are doing everything they can to get the abortion pills to the mailboxes of women across this country. So in the same mouth that they say, if we can save one life, then it's all worth it. They're saying if we can end a life via abortion, then we need to speed up that process and we need to get those pills into the hands of whoever wants them. How ridiculous is that? You know, there's a lot of things that folks are going to look back a hundred years from now. They're going to look in the history books and they're going to read the records and they're going to go, what in the world were those people doing? They're going to look at things Republicans did. They're going to look at things Democrats did. They're going to say, what in the world were those people doing? And when all said and done, and we finally see a day where abortion isn't happening, isn't a plague, isn't a pandemic on this society, historians are going to look and say, what were they doing? How could that person say, If we can save one life, we need to shut everything down while also saying, well, they don't have to have doctor supervision. Just get the chemical pills to their house. Let them end the pregnancy at home. Do you see what I'm saying? It goes back to what I said earlier. We're all hypocrites right now. We all have our our problems and our faults. But this is, this is blaring. Like, they're not even trying to hide it anymore. And they, they don't care about the data. That's the interesting thing, too. Somebody talks about a, a COVID, uh, during the COVID season, somebody wearing a mask too long and they get uh, something wrong with their face or they, or they get some kind of uh, respiratory illness. Because of wearing the mask too long. Now that's an outlier. That's not happening to everybody. But when you bring that up, you, you, you're called a crazy person. But when we bring up that these women, not only is the baby dying in the womb, but women are dying. Women are having massive complications with these pills. But, you know, no, nobody cares in the abortion lobby. You see that the goal is to get more abortions, Period. And so during a pandemic, it just seems odd to me that while we're all screaming, we need to protect our neighbor, we need to love our neighbor, we need to do whatever we can to take care of the vulnerable in our population. We've made changes in the Woodhouse. My mother-in-law lives with us. She's part of the vulnerable population. My mom is part of the vulnerable population. My, my kid's great-grandmother is part of the vulnerable population. We're making the changes. We're wearing the mask. We're not going out. We're not being reckless. But in the same time, we have folks that are calling for more abortions. So as as we say, we need to protect the vulnerable among us. I'm telling you folks, there are no more vulnerable people among us than those growing inside the womb. But there's a large segment of the leaders in this country that care nothing about those inside of the womb or those carrying 
those babies. We'll talk more when we come back. Born and raised under the rain and a western wind felt the weight. Try to live up to the say I am. Is it any wonder? Shame comes calling my first name. Is there any question? If I'm the one he left you blame, it's the same fight all over again. It's the same light breaking on my skin. It's the same night when you let me in. You let me in. You let me in. You are the So as we continue the conversation today, the theme uh, hasn't really changed. Judges making decisions across the country concerning abortion and life. And uh, we had it here right in Tennessee just last week. And, and the reason I'm bringing this up today is because I think it's important that we see what happens. Uh, now, now, some could argue that some of these laws weren't written uh, in, the, in, the right, uh, in the right way. And so, the, of course, these judges are going to overturn it. Of course, these judges were going to look at it and, uh, and all those things. That, that could be true. But I, I think at some point, those that, that wish to celebrate life also have to uh, put forth the effort and legislation to back that up. And, and here's what happened uh, just last week. Tennessee Governor Bill Lee signed a heartbeat bill prohibiting abortion after a fetal heartbeat can be detected, which can occur at er- as early as six weeks into pregnancy. The law makes Tennessee one of a dozen states to have enacted such a bill, most of which were signed at some point last year, but less than an hour. After the law took effect in Tennessee, a federal judge blocked it, issuing a temporary restraining order against the policy in response to a lawsuit from the ACLU, Planned Parenthood, and the Center for Reproductive Rights. Now, I want to stop there for a second. Notice these lawsuits are never brought on behalf of one individual or multiple individuals. You see, what you didn't see there was Jane Smith put forth a lawsuit fighting this piece of legislation because she wanted an abortion. Now, what you see is you see the ACLU, Planned Parenthood, Center for Reductive Rights. Why is that? Why are they always itching for the lawsuit? Well, because this hurts, hurts their budget. If these things were to go into effect, it would hurt their bottom line. You see, I think, I think in some ways, and we see this on both sides, pro-life and pro-choice, Republican and Democrat, we see this quite a bit, that, that some folks would just prefer to campaign on the issues but not really make a change. What do I mean by that? Well, we have some folks that claim to be pro-life, that claim they're going to defund Planned Parenthood, that claim all of these things about what they're going to do once they get to Washington or what they're going to do once they get to Nashville or what they're going to do once they get into that position of authority. And then they do nothing. You know, we're told, we'll vote for this guy because we'll get these type of judges. Vote for this guy because we'll defund Planned Parenthood. Vote for this guy because they'll be fiscally conservative. Then they get to Washington. And you know that over the last year, Planned Parenthood actually received more money not less. They received over $600 million from the federal government. Told if you vote a certain way, you're going to get these policies. But, but for many of these folks, they just like to campaign on them. They'd much rather just campaign on the issue, but not really change the issue. 
But I digress. They go further. The quote, plaintiffs have demonstrated they will suffer immediate and irreparable in- injury, harm, loss, or damage if injunctive relief is not granted pending a preliminary injunction hearing, wrote U.S. District Judge William Campbell. The act will immediately impact patients seeking abortion and imposes criminal, criminal sanctions on abortion providers. The time-sensitive nature of the procedure also weighs in favor of injunctive relief pending a preliminary injunction hearing. This ruling is the second time this week, or last week, alone that a federal judge has ruled against the heartbeat bill. In Georgia, U.S. District Judge Steve Jones permanently blocked the state's version of the law, writing that by prohibiting a woman from terminating her pregnancy upon the detection of a fetal heartbeat, the law constitutes a pre-viability abortion ban. Quote, as, as this ban directly conflicts with binding Supreme Court precedent, i.e. the core holdings in Roe and Casey, and, their, uh, and thereby infringes upon a woman's constitutional right to obtain an abortion prior to viability. The court is left with no other choice but to declare it unconstitutional, Jones added. These decisions aren't surprising to anyone who has followed the controversy over heartbeat bills, which by one by one judges have temporarily blocked or permanently struck down after determining that they contradict prevailing abortion jurisprudence. Though disappointing to pro-lifers, these legal challenges and the judicial responses have revealed the flaws in our status quo and abortion policy. Last year, states passed heartbeat bills that were sub, uh, subsequently and unilaterally blocked in federal courts. A number of Democratic states were busy passing abortion legislation, too. New York enacted a law allowing abortion for any reason, up to 24 weeks gestation after fetal viability, and altering regulations to allow women to more easily attain an abortion until birth. Virginia Democrats contemplated a similar bill that, per its sponsor, would have allowed elective abortion even during labor. Illinois, Vermont, Rhode Island, Maine enacted a variety of extreme abortion bills, some enshrining the right to unlimited abortion in the state constitution, some declaring elective abortion at any stage of pregnancy, a fundamental right is what they called it, and some repealing state bans on partial birth abortion. Not a single one of those laws faced a legal challenge, and how could they? While judges willed Roe and Casey to prevent pro-life citizens from protecting unborn children, even after viability, despite the fact that both decisions explicitly acknowledge the state's interest in doing so, our current jurisprudence does nothing to prevent abortion advocates from loosening restrictions on the procedure to allow elective abortion until birth. This is a highly unjust status quo, considering that the jurisprudence enabling it stems from the anti-constitutional ruling in Roe. A decision that both opponents and supporters of legal abortion admit was poorly reasoned. Yet, decades of case law are built on that shaky foundation. This is the foremost reason that, instead of resolving the fight over abortion, the court in Roe submitted it as the most contentious and most persistent policy debate in America. Heartbeat bills may not have been immediately successful in protecting unborn human life, but they might be deemed a success on two counts. First, they present courts with opportunities to reconsider the heart of our flawed system by directly contradicting the cases that dictate abortion law. Though it likely will require getting such a case before a friendly Supreme Court to actually undo those flawed decisions, that day will never come if pro-life legislators abandon the effort entirely. Second, they have fostered a conversation about abortion that plays to the strengths of the pro-life cause. Given that the most popular abortion rights arguments are fallacious claims, such as that a fetus is a, quote, clump of cells or, quote, part of its mother. Talking about the fetal heartbeat and the fact that it begins so early in pregnancy helps raise public consciousness of human life in the womb. 
It's clear that supporters of legal abortion fear this strategy. They spent much of last year insisting that reporters refer to fetal heartbeats as, quote, fetal pole cardiac activity or embryonic pulsing. Most major media outlets, it is worth noting, went right along. Even though heartbeat bills haven't yet been permitted to take effect, they help. They have helped expose the way in which abortion supporters dehumanize what is clearly a distinct, vulnerable, living human being. And so, yeah, that's that's what we can come to expect. And and it's interesting when we when we look at all of this in the current context. In the current context, where where you hear people say. Um, well, if you're going to the beach, then you don't care about the vulnerable in our population. Well, if you do this, then, then you don't care about saving anybody's life. And those same people would fight you tooth and nail to make sure that abortion is available and accessible all the way up until birth. You see, it's frustrating. It makes me angry. But the reality is there's two different worldviews. You see, for for a secular person, and let's be honest with ourselves, for a secular person, why would you love your neighbor? What's the point? What's the point? Isn't it survival of the fittest? Isn't it population control? Isn't it getting rid rid of the weeds? The lesser thans? Like, if, if you have no foundation, if you don't believe in a creator, you believe we evolved then wouldn't, wouldn't you want to just continue that evolution process? Why would you love your neighbor? Why would you be saying right now, well, if you go to the beach, you don't care about your neighbor if you were secular? Right? If, you, if you have no, what's the point? That just may mean there's a spot for you at the new job. There's a little one less person on the road. One less person to take care of. But if you have a biblical worldview, then we do need to take into account our neighbors. And let's be honest, sometimes we don't. Sometimes we don't when we're on the road. Sometimes we don't when we're on the beach. Sometimes we don't We don't when we're at work. Sometimes we are reckless and we don't care. But the reality is, as a, as a biblical worldview, we are to care for our neighbors. And if we believe, like the Bible says, that we were created and knitted together in our mother's womb, then our neighbor is in the womb. Now, using that framework... To a non-believer, to someone that doesn't have a biblical worldview, it doesn't make sense. Just like their narrative and agenda doesn't make sense to us. But screaming at each other isn't going to get us anywhere. But what's another avenue that they use? They use science. That's why we're being told to wear masks. That's why we're being told to do this and do that during COVID season is because of science. That's why we're being told that we need to take care of our environment because of science. Well, science tells us that a baby life begins at conception. A science tells us when a heartbeat is beating. Science tells us if it's a boy or a girl. Science tells us a lot about that baby growing in the womb. And even outside of science, the fact that we can look our neighbors in the eye, we all know our genesis. We all know where we begin. We can look our neighbors in the eye and know that we started in the womb that's all the proof i need we'll talk more when we come back i've been thinking about time and where does it go 
How can I stop my life from that I don't know? I've been thinking about family. Now it's going so fast. Will I wake up one morning just wishing that I could go back? I've been thinking about lately. So as we continue today, we just have a few more minutes. I, I, I wanted to quickly talk about something that happened uh, over the weekend. It, it's a, you know, the, the thing about COVID season is it kind of has taken over. And so that's all you hear about. That's all we talk about. But the reality is, uh, and I saw this just the other day, I mean, drug overdoses are up in Knox County. Uh, homicides are up in Knox County. You know, I, I know of people personally that have been diagnosed with cancer during COVID season. Uh, I, I know of families that have lost loved ones during COVID season uh, for, for reasons outside of COVID. Uh, and so I think at times we get so caught up in, in COVID that we neglect the fact that life is still going on outside of COVID. And so there's still a lot of hurt and pain. So what happens is, the fear and anxiety that comes with a virus that no one really knows how to control is on top of all that fear and anxiety. Well, then somebody may have a car wreck or somebody loses their job or somebody's diagnosed with cancer or somebody's kid dies or somebody gets shot or somebody has a drug overdose or somebody. I mean, the, the list goes on and on. And I got news this weekend that that happened to uh, a guy about my age a pastor in Texas that I didn't know personally. We, we've had multiple conversations because we, we served on a, on a leadership board. Uh, so our ministries crossed path, but, but we, we weren't friends or, or acquaintances, uh, or more than acquaintances. We, we knew of each other. He's a dad of four, probably in his mid-30s. On his way home the other night, he's pastoring a church as well. On his way home the other night, a car had a wreck. And was in flames. And he stops to get out to assist. And while he's assisting, him and another guy are assisting to get people out of this burning car. This pastor looks up and sees a semi-truck coming toward him. And he pushes the other guy out of the way. And this pastor is struck by the truck and dies immediately. And the reason I bring that up is because I think sometimes we act as if life is just going to be on pause while we deal with some of these other things. But the reality is we don't know. We don't know. There may be somebody listening to this right now that COVID's going to get them. Cancer is going to get them. Natural causes, old age is going to get them. But what we all have in common is it's coming. Something. And so although we get amped and we get excited and we get uh, we get out there to, to shake some trees and say, hey, we got to do something about this and that issue, please don't lose sight of what's important in your own life as well. I mean, I'm just I'm just observing folks right now during this time that have become obsessed and it's on the verge of idolatry of some of these things and so i just would caution you against that you know when a christian says love your neighbor it isn't 
just giving that lip service. We've been commanded to do that. By the sovereign king of the universe, we've been commanded to love our neighbor. Your conservative neighbor, but not your liberal one, or love your liberal neighbor, but not your conservative one. It doesn't say love your Christian neighbor, but not your non-Christian one, or vice versa. It says love your neighbor. And that's hard. But man, it's worth the effort. It is so worth the effort. You're not going to be laying on your deathbed one day and say, man, I wish I had time to make one more post, to go on one more rant, to get in one more argument on the comment threads. That's not going to be your last concerns on your deathbed. But what you may say is, I wish I could hug my wife one more time. I wish I could hug my kids one more time. I wish I could laugh with my brother about that one inside joke that we have. You see, those are the things that matter. Don't let your priorities get out of whack. Care about things. Care about the issues that are going on in our world, certainly. But also care about people. I think we can do that. We'll talk to you next week. I just want to stay where you are